you'd be like, oh my God, I love your show. <laughs> so I'm naked, sorry, but I love your show so much. <laughs> why, why are you here? <laughs> Welcome to Midsummer Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. Today, this is episode 17 for us. 17? I can't believe we're at 17 already. <laughs> and it's season four, episode four of Midsummer Murder, better known as Who Killed Cock Robin. Just off the top, Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig through an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, and the loonies, and everything else that we love. You sound like such a DJ when you read that. I got the DJ voice out hey. there. Hey, and uh, just want to give you a warning that if you if the uh, show is too much for your kids, the podcast probably is too. But if you let your kids watch the show, they'll probably enjoy the podcast. Well, I don't know if they'll enjoy it, but they can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there are many 12-year-olds who are like, ooh, can we listen to Midsummer Maniacs? I'm, I'm still kind of stunned that anyone is. Ooh, <laughs> we can listen to Midsummer Maniacs. But, but we're we, really glad that you do. But we have said <laughs> such amazing comments lately of just people saying the most absolute nicest things, and it definitely warms our hearts and makes it all worthwhile. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so much more fun knowing that. Somebody's listening, other so, than us. So this episode is filmed September, October 2000 and broadcast the 9th of September 2001 with 9.13 million viewers. Go Directed on. by David Tucker and Jeremy Paul is the writer. Mm-hmm. So we start with the cold open. Oh, boy. So first of all, I think we have to address this. This idea of who killed Cock Robin. So this is a reference to a... A poem, right, called Cock Robin, mm-hmm. with a, a kind of lilting sing-songiness to it. Right. And there are all these different versions of it. Of course, it. yeah. And the one that they make reference to in here, I, I couldn't even really find a good reference for that, but it's obviously like a British nursery rhyme. Yeah, like Ring Around the Rosie. Exactly. Yeah, but it's a, it's a pretty cocky title. Yes. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's very tongue-in-cheek, right? And especially when we find out what Robin was doing with his cock Robin. <laughs> He's certainly getting it around, yeah. So we start with a cold opening. We have got um, Dr. Burgess, Francesca, who's head of the riding school. Yeah, so this is a trope that we found, and it is unattractive women who in British television shows are seen as completely attractive. And I'm not saying that Francesca is ugly. No. I'm not saying that. But she is not fawn over the way that they all fawn over. She's not making an idiot of yourself beautiful. No. And it's just, we see this time and time again. Another great example of this was the Brazilian woman from the Strangler's Woods Mm -hmm. episode. Like, everybody thought, oh, well, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. And she wasn't... She wasn't ugly, but, but she wasn't notably it's beautiful. over the top. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it adds some interest, right? And the doctor's quite in love with her. <laughs> the doctor who shows up in a million things. Oh, he's in so many things. Most most recently in Doc Martin. <laughs> so Dr. Burgess is played by Ian McNeese, who, yes, you will know from Doc Martin. He's a long-running character in Doc Martin, yeah. and he's a really awesome character in Doc Martin. He's really fun. He was also in The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain. Oh, great movie. He's a major character yeah. there. He plays Churchill in Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, he is Baron Harkonnes in Children of Dune. Yes. yes. Yes, he is. In 2005. But the two roles that you might have forgotten okay. or never known about. Okay. He was in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. I have seen a lot of bad movies, <laughs> and that is not one of them. <laughs> he plays a major role in Ace Ventura. Okay. Um, he was also in a movie called White Noise with Michael Keaton. Where Michael Keaton plays a widower who thinks that he can hear, he thinks he can contact his dead wife through like static transmissions, but they then remake accidentally finds aliens. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Oh. He plays an American in I that one, watch I think. That movie. Yeah. Okay. I remember thinking it was kind of weird and fun. But so, yeah, that's Ian McNeese. He's been in so many things. So Oliver, the doctor. Is he's kind of tipsy and he says goodnight to Melvin, who we don't know who he is at this point in time. No. All we know is that Francesca gets on top of him, which, yeah, okay, about that. Yeah, and Dr. Burgess is a little tipsy to say the least. So he's driving home, goes careening around in his car, and what does he see but a goat? <laughs> That poor goat lives by that bridge. I think it's a stereotype. I think it's rather rude of them to leave Billy the goat tied up at the bridge. <laughs> but he also runs over the Irishman. Yes. Yes. Sean O'Connell, who we don't know is Sean O'Connell. Right. Yet. So we'll talk about him later. Because at first, I immediately see him. I go, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you say that? So he's on a Canadian show called The Republic of Doyle, in which the theme song ends with, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so wherever he shows up, including uh, just recently, what did we see him in? We saw him in... His name's Sean McGinley. He was also in Braveheart. He had a yes. pretty big role in Braveheart. He was in Shetland recently. Yeah, he was in Shetland. And uh, most notably, other than, oh, yeah, his head is shaped like a light bulb. Yeah, he, his head, I remember you were mocking on his <laughs> He's head. a great actor. His head is shaped like a light bulb. <laughs> on, on not a compact fluorescent. It's not squirrely like that. So, so this is... <laughs> Ten years before Republic of Doyle. But, of course, we didn't really know or recognize him when we watched Republic of Doyle. And no. then we saw this episode again. We're like, oh, yeah! yeah it's that guy. It's light bulb head guy. <laughs> and I remember you talking about his giant light bulb head in <laughs> Republic of Doyle. So he disappears out of view of the headlights. We assume that Dr. Burgess has hit him and knocked him into the ditch or something. But then... You know, it's conveniently, the car's conveniently towed away and everything's kind of swept under the carpet for the night, right? Before that, the doctor is Drooly McDroolerson in the car. Well, he's really drunk. Like he's, like, has copious amounts of drool. <laughs> like, I kept wanting to wipe the screen. Maybe it's because he sat there looking at Francesca for hours and it was just oh, built up. Francesca. Whoa. 
And Mary Moen, who's the sort of nosy neighbor here, turns her light on and looks and then turns it off and then looks again and then lights on and off. She obviously knows what's going on. And doesn't want them to know that she knows, which (laughs) was a smart thing for her. The doctor goes to the pub and he talks to this guy named Bill. Bill the barkeep at the White Swan. Uh, The goat's name is also Bill. He's Billy the goat. Yes. And Frank Lightborn comes to take the car away. Right. Yeah. And the the doctor at this point is reasonable and says several times, we have to call the police. I think I hit somebody. They're like, no, no. No, you didn't hit anybody. No, we take care of our own Mm -hmm. here. No, no. Well, we know how Frank takes care of his own. Yeah. So it's all swept under the carpet, except for... Bill in the pub can't stop talking because he picked up a phone and called Barnaby. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, Burgess is is conscious of the fact that he may have hurt somebody. And by the light of day, I think Bill says, you know what? Yeah, we got to look into this. And he calls Tom. He, He wants him to do it kind of under the radar, but he does call him. Well, no, Tom and uh, Joyce are just going to a pub to have lunch. (laughs) She's like, oh, is it that nice one with the good food? And he's like, no, it's the one with the chips. Crisps. So I guess <laughs> and this the good is beer. a working lunch. Poor Joyce. Poor Joyce. And then she just sits at a table out by the pond for an hour by herself eating chips. <laughs> so we find out the Irishman's a horse whisperer, that Bill is lo- has rented him the cottage, yeah. but really doesn't know all that much about him. Like, maybe you should know a little more about somebody before you rent a place to them. Well, and it's hard to decide how long the Irishman has been staying in that cottage, too. You get the sense that he's kind of new to town. And yet, when they go in the cottage, the desk is just full of his correspondence as if he's lived there for years. Literally, he's quite at home. Yeah. Um, So that's what happened. Tom goes around. He sees that he's been reading Black Beauty because he's a horse guy. Get it? It's a horse book. Get it? It's a horse book. That's what horse guys read. And he finds an Irish passport that says it's Sean O'Connell, born uh, the 9th of January in 1968. Okay. You nerded out about a document again, didn't you? That human being was not born in 1968. You're only saying that because that would make him only a year older than you. He's He was born, the actor was born in 56. <laughs> so he's a little older than that. To be fair, I think he's had gray hair since he was like 40. The more interesting part is he comes from a place called Skibbereen. S-K-I-B-B-E-R-E-E-N. Is that a real place? It's a real place in County Cork, Ireland. Skibbereen. Skibbereen. Yeah. So Mary Moen, uh, who over, she sees all this, what the car happened from her window. Yeah. Um. She's played by Jane La Patois. I'm going to show Mark my notes now because he's a French speaker. La Patois. What you said. Yeah, that's what I'm going with. La Patois. I'm French Canadian, you know, eh? No, you're not. (laughs) But I know you took a lot of French when you were little. Um, She's been in, you know, lots of things. The, the, The... thing that I found most entertaining was a movie she was in in 1972 called The S-Fix. Have you seen this film? This is the, has Mark seen that bad movie? Let's wait. I believe so. It's A-S-P-H-Y-X. Yes. Yes, I have seen this. We didn't even practice that. 
<laughs> it's a movie about a man who invents a machine that looks a lot like a coffin with some suckers attached to it that can suck the life force and soul out of people, thereby making him immortal. And she plays his wife. Yeah, I saw that movie. <laughs> uh, sometimes I worry about you, you know? Well, we'll get to Hammer movies later <laughs> on, right? Barnaby's going through the stuff in the house, and he hears somebody coming in, and it's Melvin Stockard. Yeah, Melvin, who we find out pretty quickly did 18 months of an eight-year sentence. So, they, so he, he and Tom go, go way back. He's kind of a diamond geezer. No, he's a tweed geezer. He's a tw- <laughs> tweed geezer. <laughs> <laughs> he's out riding with his horse. How exactly, like, he's like, I thought I saw you go in. It's total coincidence that they're right. I just happen to be riding by with my daughter on our very expensive horses now that I'm lord of the manor. And I am a full-blown tweed geezer. I I still don't really understand why he went in. There's there's some problematic situations. He has this thing about, like... Being responsible for the entire village. And so he's showing he's, up where he needs to be, sort of. And taking care of things that are none of his business, but he feels responsible for. So he maybe put, he sees a stranger going into the house and he knows it's not the Irishman. And so he's like, hey, who's going in that house? He put the roof on the church. He's on the parish council. He saved the mobile library and the bus service. About that roof. Okay. There are a lot of dumb, useless characters in this show. Mm-hmm. But that vicar is dumb. <laughs> and he does not need to be in this episode at all. He shows up in two scenes, one of which he runs away. Yes. He's not part of the criminal conspiracy. He doesn't contribute all anything he meaningful. Does is say hi to Melvin here and then go for drinks and run away like a little boy. I think his job here is to give Melvin some respectability. Like, yes, he has helped with the church, and now we all think he's a good person and not a tweed geezer. I absolutely agree. They don't need the vicar for that. No. That guy needed a job and somebody found it for him. Well, he plays a vicar in another episode of Midsummer too. Oh, he does? But a different vicar. A different vicar. Yeah, he's a different vicar. He has a vicary look. He does. He has a vicar face. (laughs) He's also in uh, the other episode is The Straw Woman. Oh, okay. His name's Jonathan Hackett, by the way. Let me tell you about Melvin. Melvin. Okay, so tell us about Melvin. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I know what's in my notes. Okay. (laughs) His name's Larry Lamb. Yeah. He's been in a lot of things, all the typical character actor things. Yes. I got. I fell into this black hole of the things that he's credited as self. Okay. Okay. So not. not so this is when you do a documentary. You do of, a narrator. You're yeah. a host for show. Yeah. Something like that. Um, like I bet you, uh, almost all of Jimmy Carr's IMDb pages are as self. self. Right. Yeah. Uh, he he did a. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your Jimmy Carr laugh. He did a uh, a series with his son where they went on bike rides. Oh. Um, so kind of like Tony Robinson's Walks Across Britain, but yeah. this was riding bikes with his son. Oh, that's nice. So kind of fit yeah. for his age. But in 2016, he was on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Okay, so this is a British reality show in which they place celebrities in, usually, it's all tropical, right? It's like Survivor, but with celebrities. Yes. And... 
a bit more awkward. Yes. He made it 18 weeks. Wow, he's a tough bugger. And when he got when he got voted off the island or whatever the mechanism is, everybody said that he w- he was almost too nice. He was really nice to everybody. Lamb was, but he snored really loud. <laughs> And so they had to get rid of somebody, and they were like, sorry, Larry, none of us can sleep. You have to go. That's embarrassing. Wow. Poor, poor Larry. Probably snores like our dog. He seems like an all-around kind of nice guy. Yeah, he plays seems- a, a right kind of jerk in this, maybe a reform jerk. I'm not sure, but he's certainly power-hungry and lording it over everybody because he's got money. So the last place they go by is the well, and they're pulling these bikes out of the well. Okay, British people. Yeah. Okay. Explain this. Explain this. Hmm. I have a bike. Maybe the tire's flat. Maybe the chain broke. Hmm. Down the well it goes. So you two have seen other references to bikes and wells. Absolutely. It wasn't just me. No. Because I Googled all over the place trying to find an explanation for why there are bikes and wells. wells. Well, I've got a theory. Okay. Stunt riding. Stunt. That's quite the stunt ride. <laughs> really bad stunt riding. I'll go around and around and around. Oh, and no, then I I'll can't j- get out. And then I'll jump the well. Oh, my bike fell in the well. My bike fell in the well. Well, you know, you got something kind of big like a bike and it's it's broken and you can't fix it. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Throw it down the well. Throw it in a hole. Okay, I have a question. Again, <laughs> Again this is spoilers, right? I have a question is becoming your so, by the way. <laughs> Just thrown you off completely. <laughs> Frank and his sister killed Robin mm-hmm. and put him in the well. Mm-hmm. And then threw bikes on top of him. And they know that people are going <laughs> through the well. Why is Frank not going, let's go to Spain? Because that would be obvious. But still, like, or, my bigger or question, why doesn't he go to the well and put him somewhere else? No, 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 no. That's not the bigger question. The, the biggest question is they pull bikes out first. So in the six weeks since they put him in... Well, there was a rush on bad bikes. Other people have thrown <laughs> bikes in on top of him. Our bikes. Bikes, bikes, bikes. Or Frank and Bridget thought, if we throw bikes in, nobody will know he's down there. Frank and Bridget get the bikes? Who knows? They're bad people. Maybe they steal them off little kids and throw them in the well. I guess. It's stunt riding, I'm telling you. So they get to the big pile where Melvin lives now, and they meet up with Jackie Marsh, who is like a... A toady, yeah, like a toady, a for, lackey, yeah, who obviously was part of Melvin's gang. His muscle, yeah, his creepy butler, yes. His wife Lily is no better, yeah. And Barnaby knows these people, right? And Barnaby asks about his Stockard's wife, mm-hmm. Bubbles. Bubbles, is this a common name in Britain? It's not a common name here. I, th- I think it's a nickname for Barbara, maybe, yes. But she runs a jewelry shop in Oxford called Bits and Bobbles. More on that later. Bobbles, not bubbles, More, right? Yes, Bits and Bobbles. Jackie March is played by George Ennis. Yes. Who, who has a fantastically out-of-date personal website, oh, if, yeah. you, if you've got an hour. Go to his website. Including a day-by-day blog for like two years. Fantastic. Notable in his history is he was in a fantastic movie in 1985, fantastic being ironic here, called Morons from Outer Space. Wow, he was in Morons from Outer Space? Have you seen that? Of course I've seen oh that. It was God. a bad movie in the 1980s. We rented it on VHS, baby. 
He he does a lot of theater now, a lot, and he does a lot of nice things for a lot of lot. He, he's a good actor, yeah, and he seems like a genuinely good person. But man, yeah. can he play a baddie? Oh, he had the scowl going on. He and says the, like three things in the entire movie, and that so. mustache yeah. and that it's, his it's, hair is very he's dark. Fantastic, and, yeah. Francesca shows up. And then Joyce shows up. Yeah, out of nowhere. How does Joyce know where he is? Maybe she's got a tag on him. Maybe. She's got a GPS she's tag on Barnaby. She's wandering the village. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? Uh, I would. I would tag him if he was my husband. So Melvin invites him, them for lunch, and Barnaby says no, and then Francesca speaks in Spanish to Tom like he understands what she says. I, I just think... It's incredibly rude to do that. I think she's saying, I am exotic and you can't understand me. (laughs) I am so fancy and beautiful. Yeah. Well, luckily, he already has lunch. Joyce has got a pickled egg in a bag. Yep. (laughs) Egg in a bag. (laughs) That'll that'll teach him. I have in my notes, everyone thinks she's so beautiful. (laughs) Well, Tom clearly does. Exactly. (laughs) So Troy's going to show up and they're going to look at this crime scene. So Joyce goes off home by herself. Yeah. And uh, Tom goes to see what the car looks like and sees the doctor and Frank. And the doctor's like, will I be charged? And Tom's like, "Uh, possibly. I don't know yet. Right. Because they don't know what's happened to the Irishman. He goes to see Mary because he realizes that she must have seen what happened. And she has a Nuriev picture. Yeah. So he is... And she can still put her palms on the floor. A famous ballet dancer. Yeah. Like he's Russian. He kind of put, in the 80s, he kind of put the Bolshoi ballet on the map, Mm -hmm. right? And yes, she can still touch the ground with her palms. And Tom claps like an old person. Like, <laughs> kind of curvy hands. It's it's weird. She's so edgy and nervous and tense and kind of scatterbrained. And I I don't I don't know if she's scatterbrained because she's so scared or if she's scared because she's scatterbrained. I, I am I'm always getting her and the woman from who's in the train car in the episode all mixed up because they're kind of the same person, right? They're that very edgy, weird, nervous. Nervous. Yeah. So, Meanwhile, Troy's digging around over next to Billy the goat and finds a bloody rag. So now they know somebody was hurt. Well, he also talks to Francesca for absolutely no reason at all. <laughs> oh, look how beautiful she is. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> It's not that she's not beautiful. It's the reaction of everybody and the show that puts her in this situation constantly. I'm like, oh, she's just so gorgeous. Oh, whatever. No, no. They go to the writing school. And speaking of, I feel so mean in this episode. I've already said one guy's head looks like a light bulb. My note says she works with horses because they have the same teeth. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe Francesca's not the most beautiful. <laughs> we find out that Melvin is an investor in Francesca's fancy riding school. He's He's got his hand in every pie. And she said that he spent the night. Mm-hmm. Well, he's separated from bubbles. It's raining. <laughs> Suddenly, it just starts to rain in the next scene. <laughs> you are so obsessed with this rain. Like... 
pouring rain. There's no shot of like thundery skies or nothing. Does there have to be? Why can't it just rain? It's it just is Britain. Not, it, it rains. Yeah, but every other scene before this, it's just normal. And then sudden downpour. It, it makes the scene in the pub feel more insular and kind of crowded and closed in. I guess. Then they go outside and it's bone dry. You say it's not bone dry, but it's bone dry. The cars are wet. They yeah, at least sprayed a hose PA on them. put a hose on them. All right. Well, then they did that. We find out in the pub that Julie and Chris are engaged. Julie is Melvin's daughter and Chris is the son of a local farmer. And the lead singer of uh, Dream Academy. You think he looks like him. He, he looks a bit like him. They're getting married in a couple of weeks. And Dad is upset. Yeah. Because I don't think Dad is anything but upset this entire show. Joe Megson is just grumpy personified. And he's a jerk. Like, he is just... It's no wonder his wife wants to leave him and his son wants to get married and get out. He's not Ab- pleasant. Absolutely. He, and he drives that tractor around like he's king of the farm. Like he's going to run people down. <laughs> Noel Wallacecroft is... Is she going to learn to cook? <laughs> Not for you, old man. Whatever. Noel Wallacecroft um, is his best man. He's Chris's friend. Yep. Um, he's played by a guy named Noah Huntley, who's also in The Sleeper Under the Hill yeah. in 2011. And again, I fell down the hole of the self-credits. Okay. Noah Huntley... Uh, narrated this awesome show called Date My Porn Star. What? (laughs) Date My Porn Star. (laughs) It features two British porn stars who travel to America to find out how American porn stars live. What? I'm not making it up. What network? This is not a BBC show. I'm not making it up. Uh, Okay, but what network in the UK? I don't know what network it was on. I hope it wasn't an ITV show. It's kind of like Come Dine With Me, but with porn stars. Come porn with me. <laughs> and, and over, and you know, overseas. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But Noah just, he just narrates it. I'll it's put okay. a link to that show <laughs> in the show notes, but whatever. That's just bizarre. Date my porn star, please. <laughs> Everybody's happy about this marriage except for the old guy. Yeah. And they go outside and burn. Well, Melvin's not either, right? Yes, Neither Melvin's- of their parents are very happy with them getting married. But Joe's reason is stupid. He just is like, nope, he doesn't want Chris to get married to anybody. Yeah. Because he just doesn't like anybody. Yes. Melvin thinks Chris isn't good enough. He at least has a reason. It's wrong, but he has a reason. So Barnaby talks about Melvin and his history and stuff like that. And then you have the weirdest little scene ever. And I don't even know why it's in here. It's a nighttime scene where someone breaks into a cottage, not sure which cottage it is, uses a key to open a medical cabinet and steal medical supplies. I'm assuming this is either a vet's cabinet or some sort of surgery cabinet. Mm -hmm. We're never told who it is. It's never referenced again. And I want those 90 seconds back. Well, it's right around the same time that we find out that Sean, the Irishman, was a vet. Mm. And he lost his license for fixing show horses illegally. Yes. So I think that's why we see that break in then, because we've just learned that. And so we're associating those two things. I guess. That's the message I got. Hey, Troy, let's drive around the village until we find a dead body. Oops, there's one in the well. 
Wrapped in plastic. We finally get the body from the well. Yeah. Melvin comes up. Suddenly, everyone is there. Well, yeah, it's everyone a little village. Everyone is there. And it's the village green, right? That's the whole point of the village green is it's the center of the village and everybody can see what's going on. Noel's dad is there. Everybody's there. Little Johnny Flynn. Oh, wait, he's not there. So, yeah, let's talk about Ding Dong Bell. Okay. I got some stuff. Okay, lay it on me. So Melvin comes up behind Tom and does his ominous thing. Yeah. His, I didn't commit this murder, but since I'm a tweed geezer, let me insinuate that maybe I would have. Yes. Right? Ding Dong Bell pussies in the well. Yes. I thought Cock Robin was in the room. Okay, never mind. No, no. He's a pussy now. How about Pussy Rob? No, now I'm all confused. <laughs> okay, now you're talking about that show that uh, Noah Huntley was the host for. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Okay, so the original rhyme, okay, is Ding Dong Bell, Pussies in the Well. Who put her in? Little Johnny Thin. Who pulled her out? Little Tommy Stout. What a naughty boy was that to try to drown the poor pussycat who never did him any harm but chased up all the mice in the farmer's barn. Okay. Okay. It's a nursery rhyme. That's the original. It's a nice little story. In this story, one kid tries to drown the cat and another kid saves the cat. Yes. Who the cat never is saved. Who never did anything bad to anybody. Nope. Right? In the 40s, yes. people decided that this sing song needed to be reformed a bit. Okay. That it was a bit outdated and they wanted to update it. Okay. This this song about a boy trying to drown a cat and another kid saving it. This is the reformed version. Okay. Published by Jeffrey Hall. It's the accepted reformed version from the 1940s. Okay. See if you can spot the difference. Okay. Ding dong bell, kitty's dead in the well. What? wait, whoa, okay. Oh, it doesn't say pussy anymore. Now yeah. it says kitty. It's kitty. better. Who let her die? Little Johnny Finn. Who got her alive? Little Tommy Finn. What a bad boy was that to kill a kitty cat who never did any harm but played with mice in his father's barn. It's reformed because they say kitty. Oh. But the cat is definitely dead. Yeah. <laughs> but it's better, see? Ah. Uh, it's better for kids to call it a kitty. And not a pussy. It doesn't matter that a kid killed it. Yes. And no kid saved it. <laughs> Ward is strange thing to British people. <laughs> I was Just like, saying. I saw, I was like, oh, there's a reform version of that rhyme. I wonder what they changed. Kitty is kitty. what they changed. It's okay that kids are exposed to, you know, homicidal children who will probably be serial killers later, but it's better because it's just kitty. Never mind. So the body in the well is Robin Wollenscroft. 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 There's no N. Wollenscroft. Wollenscroft. There you go. And he was invol- involved with Ma- Valerie Megson. Wait a minute. Somebody married that horrible man? Yeah, Valerie, who's also... Noel's dad, right? Yes. Robin is Noel's dad. And they were heading off to New Zealand, which is the other placeholder for very far away, but still speaks English. Right. And the husband found out next day, nothing. Now, the little light goes off on our head that Sean O'Connell was also in New Zealand. Right. And that we know that there's six people in New Zealand, so they must all know each other. <laughs> Maybe there's a connection. Noel goes and IDs the body. He IDs his dad's body after being six weeks in the well. Luckily, the picture that he had of Valerie in his pocket wasn't damaged by the water. No, but it was ripped up. Right. And Frank goes to see Mary, and Mary goes, you killed that person. And Frank goes, no, I didn't. Here's a new TV. (laughs) Guess what? He did. But here's a new TV. (laughs) 
it's not really a new TV. Here's a replacement TV. Yes. Why he feels responsible for her TV, I have no idea. And he's very, it's an excuse to come over. He's helpful. So George finds a bunch of stuff in his, his pockets, including his passport, his airline ticket for the 12th of July at Heathrow. But there's no watch. And they kind of research a little bit and find out this was the flight that they were both supposed to be on. Neither of them got on it. They know where he is now, but they don't know what happened to her. Yes. Right? Because they were going to meet at the airport. They were going to leave separately. So now we have to find her. And neither Joe or Chris has heard from her. She left a note for her son, but her jerk husband, Joe, Joe the jerk, uh, tore it up before he could read it. So they... Barnaby and Troy go off and interview Joe. Idle bloody tittletown. Wow. How can I be unpleasant while I make tea? Can, do you sing in church with that mouth, man? Joe Mexon is played by Malcolm Story. Yep. Who you might recognize from The Princess Bride. He was yelling in yes. The Princess Bride. He was the evil henchman yep. to That's the prince. Right. He was also in a really good show called The Living and the Dead. Do you remember that? It's about a young doctor who moves to a little village with his wife and he can see dead people. No, I it's don't set in like Victorian era. No, it was really good. It oh. was a like a one or two season show, but it was great. Oh, and get out of my sight. I don't I don't want to talk to you at all. All he does is slam and yell and storm. And so Julie gets in the car with Barnaby and Troy again, the coincidence car because they're driving around, they talk about putting. That Chris's mom, that Chris is really worried about his mom too. Mary Moen may have known her. And then they go by the well, well again, because everybody has to go by the well. And Bridget is so upset after killing her husband that she's bringing flowers. And we find out that Bridget and Frank are brother and sister. Bridget's all drama. Big drama. She gets in the car and after putting down the flowers at the, at the well... And just bangs on the window. Yeah. Like, let's get out of here. Well, she sees the cops coming. <laughs> Mary uh, has a visitor, and it's Melvin. He's come to take an envelope that's been pushed through her mailbox that has her name on it. Which we never get referenced again. Ellen. Yeah, yeah, we do. What we you? find out what it was. What was it? It's the watch. Uh... Frank put the watch in the envelope and addressed it to her because she would know that it was Robin's watch, and it's a threat. It's look what happened to I them. I did not put that together, but it's now a, it makes complete that sense. That watch is quite the hot potato. It is a hot potato. It's going to get passed around a lot. And this is our little secret, mm-hmm. just like the goat. <laughs> she married... That goat has some, some good agent. It gets a lot of screen it time. It does. It does. More than, more than Jackie does. More than Jackie, and certainly more than the vicar. Mary and Valerie were friends, but yeah. she hasn't heard from her. She she acts really panicky when they ask her about Valerie. And that's why, because she's received this basically death threat in the form of a watch. Yeah. So they want to go talk to Francesca again. Uh, I don't understand, Troy. I hate this part so much. Okay. So Barbie does says, go round back. Now, I know I'm a dude. Okay. But... When I shower, I shut the bedroom door and the bathroom door, okay? Even when you're in the bathroom. You put two doors between you and anybody who shouldn't see you naked. Yes. First of all, the back door is open. Troy goes waltzing through the back door. 
Now, we could tell there was a shower noise. Like, she might as well be in the shower singing, swimming in the bathtub. Rubber ducky, Or something like, like, clearly she's in the shower. But, but Troy goes, I need to investigate this further. So he goes into the bathroom, and we get gratuitous Francesca buttshot. What is he thinking? I, that woman has every right to take a shower in her own home with whatever doors open she wants to and not, and expect a cop to not just appear. Absolutely. And then he's like shocked. And he's like, well, excuse me kind of face. I have a note that says she freaks out as she should. Yeah. I would freak out if Troy was suddenly in my bathroom. You'd be like, oh my God, I love your show. <laughs> So I'm naked, sorry, but I love your show so much. Why Why are you here? It just is, uh, it's so weird. I don't know what they were trying to do there. I, I, I don't think it was supposed to be, well, Troy thinks she's so beautiful, he wants to see her naked. I don't think that's it. He's not purient. He's not that kind of guy. But the, the whole scene is completely useless. It's completely unnecessary. Just, oh, whatever. Um, and then she's uppity in her robe. Yes. Mary Moen gets uh, some interesting mail. Her dog's name is Scuff, and he's so cute. Scuff. <laughs> he's a dirty. Then you they, can't touch me, you beast. Then they go to see Bridget. She's so high-strung and crazy. She's very worried about her fish. Yeah. she And sudden alcohol. She... Blatantly lies about everything. Her son's like, that's not true. That's not true. She's like, why do you contradict me? Because you're lying, Mom. I'm going to drink now. <laughs> like, what do you know? There's this bottle right behind my pillow that I happen to be sitting on. The next I was at my yoga class. The next day, it was empty. Straight to the booze. <laughs> Bridget's paid, played by um, Linda Marlowe. Okay. She was in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Okay. She's really good in that. Yeah. Um, and she was also in a show that we really loved called Jekyll. Yes. With James Nesbitt back in 2007. A show that ended abruptly and too soon. Yes, I would agree. I would say you should watch it. It's a great show. It really is a great show. But they clearly thought they were going to have another season. Because the last... 90 seconds. Is such a cliffhanger. The last 90 seconds of, I think, the second season. Yes. You're like, what? What? You're so into it. And then just, what? But James Nesbitt is incredible in oh, that yeah. show. James Nesbitt. So good. Anyway, that's Bridget. Noel asks the cops, he asks, did Joe Mason kill my dad? Yeah. But he also tells them that he gave him some money. That Noel, Noel says Robin gave Frank money. Yeah. What he actually gave him was a car. Yes. That he sold for money. That helped Frank out. And so now we know that Frank is deep in debt. Yeah. And that Robin gave him a car because he was going to New Zealand and he wouldn't need it. Exactly. So Robin was actually nice to Frank. And then Frank repaid him. By killing two him. Two bonks on the head. With a giant wrench. Then we find out that Julie maybe knows where... The Irishman is because yeah. they kind of picked him up and put him in a in the barn, barn to take care of them with some whiskey and some hay. Did you tell your father? Oh no, no. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. And meanwhile, Jackie's behind him. <laughs> half the scenes, he's just in the background lurking. And creepy. then halfway through the episode, Joyce does a recap of the body count. Yeah. <laughs> 
She wants to buy Cully some jewelry for her birthday. Okay. Let's go to Bits and Bobbles. Cully is regulated, like relegated to being not even a character who shows up, but just one talked about. Yeah. One who has a birthday coming up. And Tom knows the place in Oxford to get some jewelry. And it's Bits and Bobbles. Owned by Melvin's wife, Bubbles. Now. Who's trying to divorce him. Boy, did I go down a hole here. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, obviously they put that Bits and Bobbles sign clearly on that building, right? Which would be 20 Broad Street, Oxford, right? So I looked it up. So what's there? What's actually there? What I actually, well, so, so I didn't know what street it was on, but the two stores next to it, which uh, were Stamp of Oxford and Flags and Old College Store. So are those real stores? Those, well, Stamp of Oxford is not there anymore. Okay. I'll talk to him. But Flags of, uh, of Flags, the Old College Store, is there. And I found that address... And I did a Google map search and found out that where Stamps of Oxford w- was is now the Cafe Creme. Mm-hmm. And where uh, Bits and Bobbles was, is, in the story, is now a place called Broad Canvas Arts and Craft Supplies. And they're a pretty cool store. They got a great little website. They do a <laughs> Christmas card competition for kids. So you went on Street View and just crawled down the street until you found the storefront that looked right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, they have like some cool artwork in different, um, like different shots of the shop. It's a, if you live in England or anywhere near Oxford... You know, go to Broad Canvas and help these people out. Are they, they a sponsor now or something? I don't know. They seem really <laughs> cool. I just thought they were a cool place to shop. So. I can't believe that there was a stamp store. Yes, yeah, stamp. And a flag but store. It's stamp. No, no. It's Stamp of Oxford and Flags, F-L-G-G-S. Oh, okay. I think Flags is the family name, but I don't know what an old college store is. They might sell robes or uniforms or something. Like at Hogwarts? Maybe. Okay. Wands, something like that. Okay. (laughs) So uh, Bubbles is coming to the wedding, and she loves her new son-in-law. They go out dancing. She seems really nice. But she's going to divorce Melvin because he can't do the sexy sex. That's not her reason. No. She wants to divorce him because he's horrible. Yes. And sleeping around with horse face. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Get out of my shower. <laughs> that was supposed to be a horse whinny, right? I, there was something. <laughs> so Mary had phoned Melvin to say that somebody's putting poop down my door. And then there's this kind of really ominous Melvin... Jackie scene where they're like... Mary needs a holiday. She needs a holiday. So what do they do? Well, you don't know. You don't know at that point if it's like uh, she's going to go sleep with the fishes. Yeah, you, you know. know. No. Or she needs to go to Bermuda for a little relax. Turns out she's going to Canada. Why not? Melvin <laughs> turns out to be a fairly nice guy. Yeah, he does. Well, he's got his own motives, right? Oh, he does. For sending her away. He does. And, you know, we don't know what time of year it is, but he's sending her to Canada. So Barnaby goes to talk to Melvin, and he says, I've spoken with Bubbles, which may be the best line of the yeah. episode. <laughs> 
And Melvin's like, oh, well, I guess you know that I can't have the sexy sex. But he goes, there's many ways of pleasing a woman, didn't you know? That was really uncomfortable for it me. Was extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> and I think Tom was uncomfortable, too. By the way, why don't you come to my party? Which yeah. isn't actually a party. It's more a convince Tom to do this thing thing. Yeah, it's 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 more like a whodunit party. Like a murder mystery party, but it's real. So then... They get in the car, and they talk about the car, Robin's car. Mm-hmm. Now, this probably went by so fast that most of you didn't even pay attention to this. But we are who we are. And I watched this scene like five times trying to figure out who they were talking about, who owned the car, who sold the car, how much the money was in debt. It really doesn't matter. Robin gave Frank the car, and then somebody gave him some more money. And then Frank sold it. That's it. Right, Yeah. <laughs> We also find out, though, that Joe's been giving Frank money, and I never understood that. And where is Joe getting the money? He's got a big farm. I guess. And it might not have been a lot of money. Who knows? certainly not for being loyal, because Frank immediately throws Joe under the bus the moment he can. But Frank couldn't have been blackmailing him either, because everybody knew that Valerie was running away with Robin. It's not as if he had something on him. Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah, I don't understand that one. So Tom and Joyce show up at the party. And Joyce is like, oh, you could afford this and a lovely senorita. And Tom goes, now behave. <laughs> I felt bad for Joyce because I think this is genuinely the kind of event that she's excited to go to. Like, it's like a, a party at a pretty house and she gets to wear a nice outfit and meet nice people. And then and it turns out it's just an interrogation scene. Well, luckily, Troy and a uniform are hiding in the bushes. Really, really badly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like when a little kid covers their eyes and thinks you can't see them. That's what Troy's doing in the bushes. It's totally like that. So they go inside, and the first thought I have is, oh, yeah, the doctor's in this show. Yeah, we haven't seen Burgess for forever. Oh, wait, there's the vicar. Yeah. And they cheered, they toast to happy days, and then it becomes, let's help Tom frame this guy. And it's so uncomfortable. Right away, it's like, wait a minute, this is not why we have a party. And the doctor goes, excuse me, I have to go. And Joyce rolls her eyes so hard that gravity must shift in the room. Like, she's like, oh, great. I thought this was going to be a nice party. And then the vicar takes his cue, throws Joe on the bus and says, oh, I have to go now too. Joe didn't. Better go. (laughs) And I got to say, Dr. Burgess bustling away is much funnier than the vicar (laughs) bustling away because Burgess has got more wobble to him. And then we never see the vicar again. Most useless character ever. Oh, darn. We never see him again. In a weird scene, the uniform and Troy storm into... Jackie and Lily's cottage. And find nothing. Maybe Troy's trying to find somebody else in the shower. Maybe. <laughs> I don't think he wants to see Lily in the shower. She's an old axe-faced lady. Oh, uh, No. So now comes the important part of the episode. We, watch, we both watch these on Amazon, which has this x-ray feature, which gives you all the actors' names and things like mm-hmm. that. And down at the bottom of the list is Christopher Lee as Dracula. And I'm like, I've seen this episode before. And I don't remember <laughs> I Christopher don't Lee. I remember Christopher Lee as Dracula. Coming back from the episode. dead to be in this <laughs> Midsummer episode. <laughs> I was like... 
Wait a minute. And it shows you those those names a tiny bit before they're actually on screen. Yes. You know, so you're like, wait a minute. So then the scene starts, and immediately I stop and go, it all makes sense now. <laughs> because. Mary's got a TV. And she's watching Scars of Dracula. Yeah. Right? Which is a 1970 Hammer film with Christopher Lee. I knew exactly what it was right away. But more importantly is the other guy who talks. The other guy who talks, the character's name is Trove, and he is played by Patrick Troughton. Do you remember who Patrick Troughton is? No. He's a doctor. Okay. He's one of the doctors. I think he's the third or fourth doctor. He's the one with the bangs and the dark hair that kind of looks like Mo, but isn't Mo. Oh, Doctor Who. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's in that movie? Yes. My question is why? Is Mary watching Dracula? I don't know. With her back to it, with candles lit. I don't, because that's how you watch. Because her, t- her TV's fixed, so she just turns it on and then ignores it. Is that it? She gets killed by black gloves because black gloves kills everything. Damn and then man. there, then there's a close up of Christopher Lee with red eyes, and I was like, right on, baby. <laughs> but I don't know why. It's not like somebody sucked her blood out or anything. No, she overdosed on pills. It, it, it was like somebody was like, I love this movie. Let's put it in. And I think somebody as scaredy cat as Mary is wouldn't be watching scary Dracula movies either. No, no, not that that's movie like is really scary. But it yeah. would have been to her. She thought her own feet were scary, for God's sakes. Who knows? She's scared of everything. And once again, everybody is on the scene of the crime immediately, including mm-hmm. the doctor. Well, I guess she committed suicide. No. George is like, no, nope. <laughs> no, 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 no. Somebody had a key, and Barnaby is like, where were you, you stupid dog? Poor Scuff. Poor Scuff. It's not his job. He has a, she has an Air Canada ticket and a letter from her sister in Toronto. Oh. Well, that makes sense. That's why she's going to go to Canada then. And the person who found her is in the bathroom. <laughs> Thanks for that information. Well, he's the gardener. Who doesn't say any, like, who is as useless as the priest. His name's Cullen. Yeah. And he's very upset. He's very upset. And he's hiding in the bathroom now because he's upset. Later, we see him in the street with his wife. Yes. Well, he did find a body. Yeah. That's kind of sad. I guess so. Barnaby goes off to the manor house to confront Melvin with the ticket. Now, this ticket is an Air Canada ticket. And there are Air Canada tags that are contemporary with that time and that logo. Okay. I'm shocked that I'm you fami- looked really closely at this airline I'm ticket, familiar Mark. familiar with these tickets, okay? Because I saw them a lot. <laughs> this right? is back when, when you were going to fly, you had to buy your ticket in advance because you had to get it in the mail. Yes. And if so, you lost it, you were just out of luck. But this ticket is not to Canada. No. No, 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 no. First of all, it says across the top, specimen ticket, not valid for transportation. Well, that's better than that credit card a few episodes ago. (laughs) It also says on it, test ticket. And it is for uh, a trip from Brussels to Amsterdam. Oh, (laughs) does Air Canada go between those two places? I don't believe so. I don't think so. Well, I don't think you were supposed to look that closely at that ticket. Uh, I guess. They didn't know about you. So we find out that Sean was actually acting for Valerie Mason. 
Yeah, because they met in New Zealand. Yeah. Which kind of takes some weight off Barnaby. He seems a little bit relieved when he learns that because she must be alive. Yes. Right? So she did make it out of the village, unlike Robin, who just made it into the well. And Julie says that, actually, I did have my dad meet with Sean. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he said he would take care of it. Right? He would help. He would help Sean out. And now Sean makes a reappearance. Yep, here comes light bulb. And the weirdest horse cam ever. It's really strange. We get the view of events from the horse. Sean is really beat up, right? Because he got hit by the car. So he's in a wheelchair in this hideous green coat. Oh, my boy. Don't go crazy, my boy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, my boy. Don't go crazy. I really want some weed and whiskey. (laughs) Do you oh, want to know? Boy. Do you want to know what my notes? I have magic powers, my boy. What's done is done. Let me let me read you my notes. Okay. I will continue. I'm laughing because I know my note is so funny. <laughs> Sean is a horse whisperer. This is what he says. Okay. 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 I'm sorry. You say it, oh. and I will repeat it. Okay. As Sean. Okay. I know my head looks like a light bulb. (laughs) Okay, yo wee horse. I know my noggin looks like a a giant light bulb. But listen. But listen. You better jump. You better jump. You better jump real high. Real high. Or they'll put you in the Tesco's lasagna. To the Tesco's lasagna, <laughs> For those of you who don't follow British news, a few years ago there was this big thing about finding a horse in lasagna. <laughs> well, it works. That horse jumps. Or off to the glue factory with you. Oh. <laughs> we amuse ourselves so much. Oh, I hope it's as half as funny as everybody else. <laughs> Oh, wait, it's time for another extreme close-up. Listen to the light bulb. Jump high for the Arab guy. I speak from the wheelchair. Yes. He makes a whole $1,000 for that gig. Don't, don't go nuts yet. Don't go nuts yet, wee horsey. <laughs> now, I... You'll be bound for Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this whole time, until they get into the arena, I thought Melvin was raising racehorses. Yeah. And racehorses are super valuable no, if they're good. They're wee jumpers. He's like a dressage horse, like a jumping horse. You and, can do it. And not like running and jump. I mean, I, I guess he, c- he could compete in speed jumping, right? I know they have those kind of well, no, events. No, it's an Olympic sport what they do. I know, but those are not the horses that like... Millions and millions of dollars are paid for because they can win all these races. The horse is only 300K. It's hardly worth, you know, the Arabian prince coming over and flying that horse back to wherever he's from. I gotta say, in a show that is pretty good about not being racist, that was really racist. With the sheik? Yeah. And if that horse is that ticked off in the the wagon, how are they going to get him on a plane? Well, as soon... You'll get on the plane or it's to Tesco. You. <laughs> you liked my joke. 
I did it all for the horses. And then Tom wants to take Sean out of there because he thinks Melvin's kind of using him. And Melvin practically threatens his life in front of Tom. Well, I'd hate for you to leave. Something, you know, bad might happen to you. He goes into his tweed geezer thing, right? Plus, I got a big bag of pot for you. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay, I'll stay. It's all right. It's cool. So they follow the doctor into the middle of a field to do an interrogation. Yeah, talk about gangsters. This scene... It was very Peaky Blinders. It's, it was kind of Peaky Blinders, kind of seven, you know, like... What's in the box? <laughs> Widows and orphans. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's it's because Burgess is so dramatic. Yeah. He's so weak and drooly that he drops to his knees. They don't shove him to his knees or anything. He just, like, collapses. And we find that Joe has the watch. It's been planted at his house. That watch is magical. And then the weird scene. Okay. I know you first thought that this episode was full of strange coincidences that were kind of convenient, right? But I also think it's full of unnecessary scenes. And this is one of them. The breaking in to the vet place is unnecessary. Every single moment that the vicar is on on scene is unnecessary. This scene with Frank and Bridget, it's borderline incestuous, which... Brings up a question that doesn't need to be It's all Badger's Drift, right? So Frank is like polishing up the doctor's car. He's made the repairs. Bridget shows up in this big fur coat, kind of insinuating there's not much underneath it, with a bottle of booze. And she says, I've come to play. And she goes, no one can see us. I was like, ew. Like, I was really worried when they recreated the climb later on that they were going to do a big old lip smack there. And I was going to be like, whoa. This is not Badger's Drift. The only purpose for this scene is to show that they are actually close. And And they could have done it in a thousand different ways that aren't this. That does not imply incestuous bonking. Yeah. That he's actually not even up for. Yeah. He, he doesn't even, he, he doesn't want to do it. I don't even know what she wants to do. Oh. It's just so weird. I don't want to think about it. Let's move on. Okay. Dr. Burgess is at the cop shop. And he has an address. Right. In New Zealand. Yeah. Now, you know I'm this kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So it's nine o'clock in midsummer, which means 9 it's. 9 a.m. on Monday morning. 10 p.m. on that night. In New Zealand. In New Zealand. I really didn't realize, and this is something I found out this week, how close New Zealand is to the Dateline. Yeah. Like, it's really close. Yeah. I thought it was much further away. Well, it doesn't matter because Valerie can teleport. Okay. Because they call her and then she appears. I also looked up how long (laughs) it takes to fly from uh, Auckland to either Gatwick or Heathrow. I looked at them both. Mm -hmm. And it's a 35-hour flight. Man. Five hours. Okay? So this... It's got to be at least two days later. has to be two days later. And that's it, assuming she got on the next flight. Yeah. With no layovers. It, that one layover. There's no nonstop flight Yeah, but Auckland. like like the, the shortest layover possible is yes. what I'm saying. Like, and you know where they layover? No. Los Angeles. What? That is the quickest way for them to go. Oh, they we, we got to look at a globe. It's like they go three quarters of the way around the world. They fly 
from Auckland to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to London. I'm never going to New Zealand. You are never going to New Zealand. I hate flights. We we won't go in a boat. We won't go on a plane, and we can't drive there. If we could just use Valerie's teleporter, we'd be there real uh, fast. Mom, is that you? Dude, it's your mother, <laughs> who you thought was dead. Yeah, it is a nice scene, though. It, they stretch it out a bit. I guess. So we know once they start talking to Valerie, we know that she and Robin had arranged to go to the airport separately. Yes. Right? So they could get away. They were going to meet there and fly to New Zealand together. She goes to the airport and he's not there. So then she gets a message. She gets paged and gets a message that's supposed to be from Robin. Yes. Saying that he he's going to miss on the next flight. He's going to miss that flight. He's going to take the next one cuz you know they have one every 6 Eight hours or something. Apparently. No, it's the next day. She goes to stay in a hotel cuz she she doesn't want to fly without him. If it's a 35-hour flight, it cannot be cheap. No. Okay. But this is in the old days when airlines were realistic. It was $1,835 when I looked at it. They're reasonable back then, though. If you said, I don't want to take this flight, I want to take tomorrow's, they would go, okay, we'll just transfer your ticket. That's fine. We're not overbooked by 20 people. No. Anyway, I'm not bitter about flying. So. Dr. Rage. She she stays overnight in the hotel because she'd prefer to fly with him, but he still doesn't show up. Yeah. Who sends the message from Robin to the airport? Frank. You think it's Frank? Because yeah. Robin's dead. Yeah, it's Frank. Right, he died the night Frank before. Frank or Bridget. <laughs> Bridget. This is Robin. I'm a dude. I know I got a woman's name, but I'm a guy. I'm leaving a message for a girl, a lady. But how does Joe know about them? <laughs> I think everybody sort of knows. Well, w- there's this flashback scene where they're apre-trist. Mm-hmm. In Joe's house. Flagrante delicto. And he's like coming at the house in his tractor like he's going to ram it. (laughs) And then they crouch down like, I guess he didn't see us. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's kind of a known thing. It's just horrible. Joe would clearly see them. Well, when Valerie's in the car, Mary's going to take her to the airport. He tries to run over them. Mary has to off-road it just to get away from him on his giant tractor. Yeah. Do tractors really go that fast? Yeah, they that that tractor probably can go sixty miles an hour. Oh well, okay yeah. then. But he's definitely coming right at him. He had every intention of running over him. Yeah. Sean goes back home with a gun. Where does he get that gun? I don't know. It's a handgun, which is first of all rare in in uh, England. He, he couldn't must, have, he, he couldn't have brought have it from New Zealand. Melvin. Yeah, he, he must have, have got it from Melvin. Must have got it from Melvin. But he realizes that the watch is the thing. Yes. Where is that watch? And he goes to call Barnaby. Is that, is that who he's calling? Who is he calling? I don't have a note about that. I don't know that we know who he's calling. But we know Why he's calling. He he's the phone that's clearly shown in his house. Maybe it's turned off. Maybe. I don't know. He, but he's definitely calling somebody to tell them about the watch. And I think, I think it's supposed to be Tom. Yeah. And somebody Killer tried- smashes the window. And then smashes the light bulb. And then we hear Jackie with one of his lines. Oh, you! (laughs) I'm confused about this scene. Yeah. Because, so Sean's in the phone booth. Yeah. Somebody smacks him on the head. Yes. And then supposedly Jackie chases them away. Yes. And Jackie tells Melvin later that the person he saw running away was Joe. No. And that's why... No, no, no. Yeah. He tells Barnaby that. Ja- no. Jackie saw Joe run away from the phone box 
which is why Melvin planted the watch in Joe's house. Because they thought if Joe was trying to kill Sean, that he definitely killed. No, but the watch is in the house before this. This is all screwed up. That's what Melvin tells Tom at the wedding. It's so weird. And the watch broke on July 11th. Yeah. At 11.05. Yeah. And it's planted by Stalker. So let's have a wedding. Yeah, with a gavel. Have you ever seen a gavel at a wedding? Don't you usually just tap a glass? So, no, this is a British thing. Oh, okay. Bang the gavel. Yep. And there's a reception. The band is warming up. Joe is sad. Mm-hmm. And they bang the gavel, and the best man starts to give a speech. And my next line is, that's right. I remember it now. Noel's the killer. <laughs> no, you were wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> Melvin gives the worst toast. It's all about him. He says he's had some luck with the GGs. Do you know what that is? Yes, I do. And you have no idea why I have an idea of what, what it is. I know what it is because I looked it up. I know what it is because the Ottawa U football team is the GGs. Oh, that's a completely different reason than I have. What, what is your reason? So he says I had luck on the GGs, which is a reference to horses. Yes. GGs are horses, right? So either it's a reference to... Everybody's saying gee up at a race. Gee up, gee up, gee up, right? So they're GGs, which the internet does not like. Yes. And the Oxford English Dictionary does not like Uh -uh. because that's Uh gee and not G. Uh So the other reference is to the 1530s. Okay. When a football game became bloody and violent and a mayor named Henry G., decided football was too violent and replaced that football field with a horse track. And banned football on Shrove Tuesday of 1533. Isn't that interesting that both of our stories revolved around football? Yeah. Yeah, that's what the Ottawa U team mascot. It's a horse. Mm -hmm. And And they're called called the GGs. GGs. Yeah. His name was uh, Henry G. That football game is quite the story. Oh, yeah. You should look it up. Wow, is it violent. I've heard reference to that football game before. Then we have this scene where Barnaby gathers all the suspects together. He can sure ruin a wedding, can he? Yeah. (laughs) Like, but you know, every wedding you go to nowadays, if there's a professional photographer, there's this big window of time between the ceremony and the reception because they have to take all the official photos of the bride and groom and all that stuff. And the attendees are all like sitting around twiddling their thumbs. But this is the window between dinner and dancing. Yes. Because they do it in a separate tent, which I've never seen either. That weird band is in the other tent. So a tiny little part here is uh, Bubbles tells Melvin to shut up and Francesca kind of (laughs) goes, like Francesca is kind of like, yeah, he should shut up. <laughs> I don't get the sense that Francesca's a, an idiot. I think she's a smart woman. Yeah, I think so too. They bring O'Connell in, like uh, bringing in Hannibal Lecter on a dolly yep. with the watch. He's got the watch. The hot potato watch is what I call it. It was Robin's watch. Yeah. Then Frank and Bridget kill Robin. Yep. And they smash the watch. Yes. So Frank picks it up. Puts in an envelope, addresses it to Mary. Yes. Hot potato. Puts it through Mary's mail slot. Pick it up. Mary freaks out. Pick it up. Calls Melvin. Pick it up. Melvin comes and takes the envelope with the watch. So now Melvin's got it. And according to Melvin, 
Jackie saw Joe run away from the phone box after trying to kill Sean, so that meant that Melvin thought that Joe was the killer, and so he thought, I'll plant it at Joe's house, because that will seal the deal. He won't be able to get away with it. It's just, it's weird. Bottom line is, Frank killed Robin. And then killed Mary. For Bridget. Yes. As a favor to Bridget. Because she gave him some money. Because he was leaving her and running away, and she wouldn't have it, so... He, they knew that he was going to bring the car by, so they're waiting for him. Here's Robin doing this nice thing, giving Frank this car to help him get out of debt, and Frank repays him by bashing him on the head and killing him. They, there's this weird thing at the end where they're like, we're all family now, and there's this reference to I only have two, or who am I sorry for? Or... Joyce says, well, Melvin has three women. He loves them in his own way. And Tom goes, well, lucky me, I only have two. Yeah. Because it's Bubbles and Francesca and Julie. Okay. And he has Cully and... And Joyce. Joyce. And then the episode ends. Yeah. So we've got two corpses, Robin and Mary. Who's better? I gotta say, Robin is probably better. Yeah, he's got the fake skin on him and everything. And there's like a little... Are those maggots? It's implied they're maggots. I don't know if they were maggots. I thought it was like... um, Flaky skin. Yeah, when when you've been underwater, your skin starts to fluff... Fluff off. He's got yeah. bike imprints on his face. <laughs> <He's> got... <laughs> really, he deserves all the attention because he was under the bikes for six weeks. Yeah, in, in that tarp. Yeah. If Bridget is wealthy enough to help Frank, why didn't she help him out before? If Frank is the actual killer, why does he act like the killer right away from, and like Mary's like, you're the killer? No, here's a TV. Hmm. I did want to watch Scars of Dracula. <laughs> After this episode, what happens? So we have to assume that Frank and Bridget are both going to go to jail. So that leaves Noel on his own. But yeah. he's a grown man. He'll he's be okay. Man. He seems to be, he seems you know, nice for someone who is falsely accused by me as the killer. <laughs> he, he, Whose mom is clearly a nutcase and whose dad was leaving. And he was the first one to say, you're a nutcase, yeah, mom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he's going to be on his own. Melvin's going to go to jail for a short sentence for... Yeah. Um, Trying to frame... Perverting the course of justice. Yeah. Right? If he's going to go to jail, I don't know what's going to happen with his estate, and I don't know what's going to happen with his investment in the writing school. I don't think he's going to go to jail. I think he'll get time served. Like, he'll get probation or something. Yeah. It's a pretty weak... I think Bubbles is going to get her divorce, though. I think Bubbles get the divorce. And Julie gets her nice husband. And I think Burgess gets away with drunk driving. Yeah. And hitting Sean. And I don't think they're going to press charges on him. And the goat's still tied to the bridge. I, Chris and Julie are happy. Maybe they could live in Mary Moen's cottage. Maybe Billy the goat could go live with Joe. Maybe. They could hang out together because he's all alone. Poor Joe. <laughs> Let me get my tractor and drive angry. No, not poor Joe. He's made his bed. He can lie in it, right? Yep. <laughs> So who did you think was the best corpse of that episode? Uh, what did you think was the most interesting coinky dink? And anything else that we've talked about in this episode? What do you think, Sean? Have you really been to whispering? That, have you been to that shop in Oxford? If, <laughs> if, if we get somebody taking a picture of them in front of that shop in Oxford, I will be pleased as punch. <laughs> it's a fun episode. Yep. It's got a lot of little crazy references. It's got a lot of twisty turnies. For, for, for all his just silliness, I love the doctor. I love his 
I love the character. I love that actor. Yeah. I hate the vicar. Doesn't need to uh, we be know. There. We know you hate the vicar. Doesn't need to be there at all. Melvin is a complex character. Is he reformed? Is he not reformed? He is. Like when he says, I think Mary needs to go on a vacation, he gets her a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually gonna send her nice somewhere and nice. Jackie's like, Yeah, I got her a first class ticket. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think we should book her a facial when she gets there or the something. Brussels. Yeah. <laughs> It just, it's hard for me to believe that somebody who's a simple village mechanic, as Frankie is, could pull one over on Melvin, because he really does. He does. And he he and Bridget completely fool this tweed geezer who's been like a kingpin, and I would think Jackie would see right through Frankie. And Frank is the worst kind of person. Everyone he talks to, he throws up people under the bus constantly. I would like to see Jackie and Frank fight. Yeah. I think like, Jackie would win. Yeah. Frank Frank would get his butt kicked. I think Lily would show up and, and beat him up for Jack. <laughs> Jackie, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a fun episode. So. Who killed Cock Robin? Frank did. Yep. We are uh, Midsummer Maniacs at Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter and at Midsummer Maniacs on uh, Instagram, as well as being on the Facebook group for Midsummer Official Facebook group. And as well as at. at Today, I know this will be weird and out of time, but Patty Smythe, the famous punk musician from New York City, sent the official new uh, official Midsummer group a whole bunch of pictures of her watching Midsummer. Apparently, she's a huge fan. You know what, Patty? I got a podcast for you. That's fun. And uh, we're also on the Acorn TV fan group, which is also a fantastically run group. And uh, the subreddit on Reddit for Midsummer Murders. And what's our next episode going to be? Our next episode is season four, episode five, which is Dark Autumn, which has probably the second best cold opening. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. All right. Until then... Bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. Francesca shows up and oh actually before Francesca no okay